And this morning, I want to give you the title because I like it. It's different. Here's the title. The Flying Scroll and the Woman in a Basket. How about that? Can any good thing come out of that? (laughs) Or should should I say amen and close the message now while I'm ahead? But that's the title of the message, a flying scroll, the flying scroll and the woman in a basket. And, and that's what Zachariah saw. Brother Jason talked about, I'm going to speak the prophetic vision. I'm about to right now, brother. The flying scroll and the woman in a basket. We'll read through this in just a moment. We're in the fifth chapter of the book of Zechariah. I've, I've really been for many, many months now enamored with the books of Haggai. We remember we started with Haggai. And you know, Haggai was the older prophet. He started prophesying. And, and you know, any man of God that is worth his salt, is, is, we don't pick the message. It's not, it's not, you know, manipulating people. We are called to bring the message just the way it was given. And so Haggai, being an old man, we think, we know, uh, brought forth the word of God and began to tell the people this. Basically, your self-interest has allowed the house of God to lie in ruins. You live in nice houses. Look at God's house. The reason you're not going to ever really prosper is because you're not putting God's house first. You say, well, is God's house important to the Lord? Well, this scripture came to my heart as I was driving to church this morning. uh, And Jesus said this, zeal for my house has consumed me. The very son of God said, I have a zeal for my father's house. So much so it consumes my life. So I think the house of God is important. And God would fill the prophets with his spirit and they would feel a portion of that same conviction, that same zeal, and they would speak. And Haggai spoke. And then just two months later, the Lord rose, raised up, that is, a younger prophet, and his prophecies are a lot more uh, uh, fanciful, if you will. I mean, he's, he's seeing horsemen by myrtle trees. He's seeing horns and craftsmen, and he sees a man measuring Jerusalem in chapter 2. He sees the high priest being cleansed and Satan standing there to oppose him in chapter 3. Last week, he sees a golden lampstand and two olive trees. And today... He sees a flying scroll, and he sees a woman in a basket. And we all have to say, what in the world does that mean? And the Lord's going to show us what it means today. Up until this point, God's been blessing the people. The Lord's message to Zechariah is, you're going to prosper. You're going to build again. It's going to happen. And, 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 and then he even gave them messages about how uh, internal blessing, spiritual blessing. But now in this vision He's coming to a part where in, in the latter part, if you, in Zechariah 4.14, he's, the Lord, uh, Zechariah calls the Lord the God of all the earth, or the, or the Lord of the whole earth. 
The Lord of the whole earth is about to operate and about to act. How many know this earth belongs to the Lord? Now, this may sound silly to you. Maybe it is a little silly. I don't know. But yesterday I was meditating on this message and I was thinking about that verse, the Lord of all the earth. And I began to look around. I was by myself, so maybe people driving around thought it was crazy, but I was driving and I just looked around. I said, Lord, those trees are yours. You're the God of, this is your world, Lord. Look at those trees and look at this sun and look at this Look at this sky and look at this. And I began to feel the presence of the Lord. And actually tears began to come to my face. And I began to declare, this world is yours, God. We see what man has done to it. But one these days very soon, God is going to take back full ownership over this world. And Satan's lease is, is, is coming to a close very, quick, very uh, quickly. And he's going to be evicted. And this world, once again, will burst forth with the prosperity and the blessing of the Lord. That day, the lion will lay down with the lamb. They shall t- take their swords and, and uh, mold them into plowshares, pruning hooks. And it says, they shall no war, no more. I'm concerned with what's happening in Russia. And and uh, Ukraine, I'm very concerned with that. More concerned with China. But there's coming a day there's going to be war no more. But here he calls him the Lord of all the earth. That's the fourth chapter, 14th verse. Lord of the whole earth. And Isaiah liked to use this, that kind of phraseology. The Lord of all the earth. In the next two weeks we're going to look at chapter 5 and 6. There's four things that the God of all the earth said he's going to do. But today, hopefully, we'll just get to two of them. The first thing God says he's going to do, and I'm going to read this passage in the, in the first part of Zechariah 5 in just a moment. But the first thing God says he's going to do, he's going to cleanse the land of Israel. Now, the people of God went in captivity. Do you know why they went into captivity? Somebody tell me why they went into captivity. They didn't do the Sabbath, but it was basically sin. And what God is about to do in Zechariah's day, the remnant has what? They have come back. But not all of them came back. Some of them like Babylon. Some of them have been enriched in Babylon. Some of them have been established in Babylon. They didn't want to go back to Jerusalem. City torn down, temple torn down. They'd become city folks. And then they were more an agrarian type people before. But those that came back, there was still sin there. And if God did not deal with sin, they were going to go. They were going to, there was going to be another captivity for another 70 years, maybe, possibly. This, this vision... Brother Jason, this vision is the vision of a flying scroll. Now, if you had a vision and saw a flying scroll flying, a huge scroll flying through the air, and then you see a woman in a huge basket, you'd say, Lord, what does this mean? That's what he he asked here. But basically, it's this. I'll give it to you, and then I'll tell you. This passage that we're going to look at speaks of how God is going to deal with sin, not in the world, 
but among his people. If there was a New Testament passage that would parallel Zechariah 5, and I'll read it later on. It's in my notes. 1 Peter 4.17, judgment must begin in the house of God. Without sounding judgmental, because I'm not that kind of person, but we are people of truth, and we speak the truth without judgment. But it doesn't take a brain, brain surgeon to know that there's still sin in the church world today. In fact, I think the church in America is in trouble. And if you were to ask me, Pastor, what do you think the number one sin in the modern church is? I quickly would say idolatry. I would say it without even almost without thinking. I think idolatry has filled the church. He said, what do you mean? Idolatry, like a little statue or something? No, no. See, the Bible said this. The Exodus passage said this in the Ten Commandments. This is 23 and 4. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or earth beneath or the waters below. Let me prove my point. Recently, I, I watched an interview of a man who claimed and purported to be a homosexual pastor. He's a homosexual unashamed, and he pastors a church, so-called. And he was saying in the interview that he had convinced himself that the passages in the Bible that had to do with homosexuality, especially the one in, in Genesis and in Sodom and Gomorrah, he said the, the reason, he really believed this, I could tell, the reason God judged them in Sodom and Gomorrah is because they did not have loving, committed relationships. That's what he said. And then he said this. Then he said, today, God accepts any, any kind of loving relationships. And he said, today, if we, as the homosexual community, have a loving, committed relationships, the Lord will accept those kind of relationships. And I would say this, that individuals like that talk incessantly about God's love, God's love, God's love. They talk about God's kindness. They talk about his mercy incessantly as if God is just a little cuddly God that we can just kind of cuddle up with. But here is an issue. Do you see what that man did? Do you see what the man did? Here's what the man did. The gentleman created an image of God, an image of his own thinking, an image of his own making. An image of his own imagination that is very unlike the true God revealed in scriptures. I so appreciate the song today that had the words, holy. I believe the Holy Spirit orchestrated that. You are holy. Do you realize the major doctrine and character of God in scripture is he is holy. Holy. In fact, when you read in the scripture, you never read of, a, of, of this mentioned in any other quality except this. Holy, holy, holy. A thrice holy God in the scripture. See, this man actually is trying to pastor a church, so-called, but yet he is an idolater. And the scripture says what he did in Romans 1.21. Here's what this man did. For though they knew God, knew about God, they did not glorify him as God. 
and neither gave thanks. But listen, are you listening? But their thinking became futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God into images that looked like mortal man and beasts and animals and reptiles. Idolatry. People imagine a God that's not even in the Bible. I declare to you, God never changes. And today in, the, in, the, in this message, the flying scroll and the, and the woman in the basket, we're going to see that God is going to cleanse the land of Israel. And I believe God is going to cleanse his church before he comes and catches us into heaven. He's, we're going to be a church without spot, without wrinkle. We are being, even in this church today, we are being washed by the words of this minister, this servant. We're being washed by the word of God. We're being washed by the anointed word of God. We are being made more like the Lord, and that's what the Lord wants. He wants to cleanse his people. Notice what the Lord says. Now, now we're in Zechariah. God said, I'm going to remove lawlessness. See, they, they, they went into captivity because of sin. And, and as our brother said, the, the Sabbaths, the lack of Sabbaths, all of that, they disobeyed the Lord. And they went into captivity. And now they're back in the land. Listen, the remnant is back in the land. But yet there's still sin in the land. God said, I'm going to deal with it. Listen to this incredible vision. There's eight of them. He, in fact, he has all of these eight visions in one night. And I looked again, this is on the screen. I looked again and there before me was a flying scroll. He asked me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a flying scroll 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. Would that get your attention? And he said to me, this is the curse. Hmm. This is the curse that is going out over the whole land. For according to what it says on one side, every thief shall be banished. And according to what it says on the other, everyone who swears falsely will be banished. The Lord Almighty declares, I will send it out. I will send out the curse, God says. And it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name. It will remain in his house to destroy it, both its timbers and its stones. What is this flying scroll? Now, if I closed right now, you'd all go home and get a Bible commentary. I can really tell you want to know. Why would God give a vision of a flying skull, 30 feet by 15 feet? Has writings on both sides. But as the prophet looks, he can only see two of the Ten Commandments. The third and the eighth. One on one side and one on the other side. The third command is, you shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Do you realize how many Christians take the name of the Lord in vain? I'm going I'm to touch on this in a little while. OMG, I won't even say it. OMG, that's taking God's name in vain. The Bible calls it blasphemy. And in the Old Testament, 
punishable by death. How loosely we use God's name. Oh, and then someone used the name of Jesus. It's blasphemy. Can you imagine using blasphemy and claiming to be a Christian? Happens all the time. Then the eighth command is against stealing. Thou shalt not steal. What does it mean? What is this? This scroll represents God's law. God put his law 30 feet by 15 feet. He put it in the sky. It was flying around for everyone to see. And this was God's law. And it was the curse to everyone who would not obey the law of God. Now let me say this about the law because there's a confusion about the law. When people say we're not under the law, you have to, we have to be clear what we mean. You know, people make these broad, generalized statements and they don't clarify I would say, yes, we are not under the Jewish ceremony, ceremonial religious law. We are not under that law. I didn't bring a lamb to church this morning. Jesus is my lamb. Come on, amen. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have to get a bath to come and worship the Lord, but I did, by the way. So hallelujah, yeah. We are not under the Jewish ceremonial religious law. We are not under the civil laws. There, there are civil laws that were specific to the Jewish people. And, and yes, our, our law system is rooted and based in the Mosaic law. But we're not under those certain Jewish laws that were very focused on the Jewish nation. But I will say this. And I want to make sure you're listening right now. Are you listening to Pastor However, God's moral law, not the ceremonial, not the civil, God's moral law is eternal and it's relevant to every person, every human being in every age. And those commands in the Old Testament that are not restated in the New Testament are not binding for New Testament Christians. However, everything in the Old Testament that's commanded in the New Testament and mentioned under the apostles and the prophets and the epistles are intact for us today. And God's moral law is eternal. And I want you to hear that. The flying, hear this, if you're writing notes, see some of you writing notes. The flying scroll shows, showed them that the word of God was still relevant to the remnant who had returned to the land. In other words, it was flying in the sky. The word of God was open to them. He wanted them to see it. He, he, it was in the sky so the whole world can see it. And, and everyone knows God's law because it's written on our consciences. When I was a little boy before I was a Christian and I stole that flashlight out of that bin in JCPenney's, I knew it was wrong. I, when I took it, I knew it was wrong. When my dad and mom caught me, I knew it was wrong. I shed tears because I knew it was wrong. I felt guilty in my heart, though I was not a Christian. Why? It was on my conscience. We have his laws written in our hearts and minds. And when we're saved, we get it, the law internalized. But everyone has a conscience. You know the word of God is open to us today. God's law is open to us today. What does the law do? The law shows us God's holy character. 
Paul said this in Romans 7, 7, 12. So then the law is holy. The commandment is holy. It is righteous. It is good. The, The law shows us his righteous will for our lives. Thou shalt not steal. Steal intact. Come on. You shall not commit adultery. In fact, Jesus said, if you look upon a woman to lust over her, you're an adulterer in your heart. The law shows us both blessings and curses. The law cannot save us. Let us be clear there. The law cannot save us, but it shows us we need to be saved. You hear that? The law cannot save us. But the law brings conviction of sins. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is holy, it's righteous, it's good. But we are not good. There's no human being good outside of God. And it shows us, it brings us conviction. It shows us, I mean, most of us have committed sins against all the commandments of God. No one can boast in their self-righteousness. They do. Most people think they are good. But we evaluate ourselves according to human standards and according to our blinded self-righteousness. There is none good. No, not one. But here's the good thing. When we do get saved, we get, we get supercharged in a sense. Hebrews says this. This is the covenant I will make with them. This is a quotation from Jeremiah. This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them in their minds. So God said, I'm going to take, the, take those commandments that I've chiseled in stone and given to Moses. And he came off the mountain with those stones and nobody could ever keep them. That's why there, that's why there had to be the sacrificial system. Because to have a relationship with God, they had to keep going and being cleansed and being cleansed. But God said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to the cross and take the curse. I'm going to take the curse of the broken law. I'm going to take the sins of the world. I'm going to die there. And I'm going to raise. And everyone who places faith in me, I will count it to them as righteousness. And I'm going to give my people the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to internalize my laws within them. And the Spirit of God will empower us to live out the righteous principles of God. The Holy Spirit empowering us by grace, not by self-effort. And not by works of the law. The truth is this flying scroll that was flying was open to all of them. It was open because God was saying to them like he's saying to us. I want you to build your lives on my laws. I want you to build your lives on my commands. Now the reason that the people went into captivity for 70 years. Because they broke in God's sacred laws. Now I'm going to read you the reason. God is very clear with the people. Now, this will be on the screen. Second Chronicles 36. He says in verse 14, Furthermore, although this is before the captivity, and this is what was happening spiritually and morally, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful, following all the detestable practices of the nations and defiling the temple of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them through through his messengers again and again. God was sending them prophets because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers. 
despised his words, scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. They'd crossed the line. You know, there is a time when you run out of the grace of God. God may love you. He will, his love is eternal. But there is a time when certain people, only known to the mind of God, and they cross the line. And I pray for this nation. Think of all the millions of babies that have been killed in this nation. Think how wicked and vile our own nation has become. Right here in our own city, people being murdered. Here in the last few weeks, a boy rolled out of a car, shot. I did, a, I did a service of a boy who had been murdered not six months ago over here in Dallas who was shot and killed in a drug deal. And I had to try to bring comfort to those people. I pray for this nation. Verse 17. And he brought up, he brought up against them the king of Babylon, the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and spared neither young men nor young women nor older or aged your age. God handed them over to, the, to Nebuchadnezzar. He carried them to Babylon, all the articles of the temple of God, both large and small, the treasures of the Lord's temple, and the treasures of the kings and, the, of the, of, and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces. Can you see it in your mind? Can you see the inferno? Can you see the beautiful, magnificent temple of God? Do you see the beautiful walls of Jerusalem? And they're all in an inferno. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rest. All the time of its desolation, it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Oh, it doesn't pay to ignore the word of God. This flying scroll was showing them this. The word of God is still relevant today, remnant. You, you've been through all of this. You've been judged for 70 years. Now you're back and there's still sin in the land. I want you to know my word is still active. My word is still relevant today. And it's still relevant today in 2022. The flying scroll quickly also shows us that the word of God is unchanging in its standard. Now, there's something very interesting here. Maybe you didn't pick it up. The scroll measured. Now, some translations have certain cubits. I, I decided to go with this plain translation that says 15 by 30 feet. Isn't that interesting? Why would he say there's a scroll flying in the sky and it's 15 by 30 feet? Does that, does that spark anything in your memory? I see some scholars, I see some scholars shaking their heads. Do you realize that 15 by 30 is very significant measurement? Because that is the measurement, the exact measurement of the holy place. And it's also the exact measurement of Solomon's porch. The porch on the temple that he built. Here's, here's the message. There's this measurement that God has, right? In other words, there's this standard which the Lord has. He'll never fudge on that standard. We, might, we may try to tweak it today. 
We may be like that gentleman I told you about in the interview that says, well, God's changed his mind and we're in a modern day and this and that. I'm going to tell you the measurement of the sanctuary is 15 by 30. It will always be 15 by 30. Listen to me. Heaven and earth will pass away. My word shall never, ever, ever pass away. God is a holy God. He will never, ever be anything but a holy God. One, one man said this, the measure of the sanctuary is that by which actions are to be weighed. In other words, God is saying to the remnant that the measurement of the sanctuary is the measurement by which you will be measured by. Here's what Samuel said, the book of Samuel. Do not keep talking proudly. A lot of proud talkers in our land today. A lot of mockers today. Mock the word of God. Mock ministers. Take the things of God so lightly. God says, stop mockers. And let, let your mouth, or let, or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows. And listen, by him deeds are weighed. God has not changed his standards. Today, many are deceived into thinking that because we are in an age of grace, that somehow God has changed his mind about sin and wickedness. But I declare to you, he has not. Sin is still vile and it's hateful in the presence of holy God. Jude said it this way. Kind of like our day. He said, for certain men whose condemnation was written long ago have secretly slipped in among you. These are godless men who change the grace of God. Who change the grace of God. What do they change it into? Into license for immorality. They say God allows for immorality. That's a lie. He is a holy God. And they deny Jesus Christ, notice, our only sovereign Lord. Paul said it this way. You think God has changed his message because he's given us his grace? Really, if anything, it demands more of us. Paul said it this way in Ephesians. But among you, there must not be, e be even a hint of sexual immorality. Of, or any kind of impurity. That's sexual impurity. Or of greed. Because of these, these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscene or foolish talk, or coarse jesting, joking, which are out of place. That's out of place for God's people. But rather thanksgiving, for this you can be sure. You can't be sure of pretty much anything in this world, but of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or of God. 
Let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you by these, 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 these em, with empty words. Let no one say to you, talk about love incessantly. Love, 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 love. God is a God of love. Look at Calvary. He took our sin to Calvary. God is a God of love. But if you think he's not a God of holiness, then you have, you're an idolater because you've imagined a God that is not the God of Scripture. Because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partakers with them quickly. Wow. Oh, don't look at the clock. <sighs> Remember Lot's wife. Don't look at the clock. <laughs> the lesson is this. The word of God is the measurement of the God's sanctuary. The word of God is the measurement of our lives. We are God's sanctuary. We are God's temple. This is, God, this is a place of worship. See, the sin of the modern church could be this, that we have set aside the clear teaching and, teach, and word of God, and we've replaced it with methods and traditions of, that are humanly devised. No one has any authority to change God's standards or God's word, no matter what age we're in. He said, listen, the scroll shows us that God's power, the power of his word is active. This scroll was flying. It was going to do what God told it to do. God was sending it. Remember what Isaiah said? So shall my word that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return empty, but will accomplish what I desire for it to achieve and the purpose for which I sent it. See, God, you, no one can disobey God's word with impunity. We cannot disobey God's word without experiencing its curse. He said, well, Isaiah or Zechariah, he's talking about this curse going out. Pastor, that's Old Testament. Oh, but there's New Testament too. Galatians, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And one cannot, the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. That's the curse. And the one who sows to please the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for in the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And he's talking about heaven. He's talking about the harvest that we're going to have in the very presence of God for God's holy people. God sent out this scroll, which was his commands, and he sent it with a curse, and it runs swiftly. And in this scroll, it shows us that we have a responsibility to both God and man. Look at verse 3, Zechariah 5 and 3. He said to me, this is the curse that is going out over the whole land. For according to what it says on one side, every thief should be banished. According to what it says on the other, everyone who swears falsely will be banished now. He mentions two commands here. But really, he's not just talking about these two commands. One of those commands was on the first part of the tablet, and the other command was on the second part of the tablet. And, and the, one of the commands regulated our worship to God and our relationship with God, and the other commandment regulated our relationship with other human beings. Jesus said it like this. He summed up the law in this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The third commandment was this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God 
He will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. This is talking about reverence and fear of God. There is very little fear of God, certainly in our world, but there is very little fear of God among people who claim God's name. It's a fearful thing. How do we profane God's name? We can profane God's name by using it as a curse word, as I've said, OMG, which many Christians say that. That's blasphemy. Remember, the next time you do that, you have blasphemed the creator of the world, punishable by death in the Old Testament. Be very careful. We profane God's name we can, by lying under oath or by swearing falsely. Our land is full of lies. The Bible said now that we're Christians, we don't lie to each other anymore. Honesty is very important. We can profane God's name by using in a, in a light heart, a lighthearted and a frivolous and a dishonoring way. Just throwing the name of God. Do you realize that the Jews wouldn't even write the name of God? They wouldn't even write the name of Yahweh. They wouldn't even write his name. They would, they would sometimes replace it with something else to refer to him because they reverenced the, the name of God. And when the scribes would copy the scriptures, when they'd come to a name of God, they would go wash three or four times. They reverenced the name of God. And my question to us today is where is that reverence among God's people today? We can profane the name of God by hypocrisy. In other words, by claiming to know him, claiming to be his follower, but yet living in a hypocritical way. Let me show you what I mean. I had someone that worked in the MISD, and there was a lady that worked there. She was always using God's name in vain. Every once in a while, just use God's name in vain when she chose to. What this person didn't know but found out later, this person was a church member and actually taught a little kid's class, was the little children's teacher in a class, and yet she's blaspheming the name of God. Then there's the eighth command, which prohibits stealing. Thou shall not steal. You shall not steal. It commands that we shall not steal money, and we shall not steal anything that does not belong to us. Meaning, God demands honesty in our dealings with people. What we're seeing in this land right now, what you're seeing with this housing market and all of this, all of this is fueled by greed. All these inflation, this is all about greed. A hundred years later, I'll be landing this in a second. About a hundred years later, Malachi came on the scene and he spoke to this same group of people about stealing from God. Malachi preaches to the same people. About a hundred years later, the same place. And here's what he said to them. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you in tithes and in offerings? You say, well, people steal from one another. Not only will they steal from one another, they'll steal from God. So full of greed, they can't give God anything. Do you realize in America today, more money is spent on dog food than is given to missions? 
and if the statistics that I read are correct, maybe 2% of the people that go to church give God much of anything. Will a man rob God? Yes. This, this scroll, this flying scroll, shows us that God's judgment can be severe. Verse 4 said, the Lord said, I will send I will send it out. I will send the curse. It will enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name. And it will remain in his house to destroy it, both its timbers and its stones. There are many today that completely deny that God would judge anything. They have created an idol, a God that is fuzzy, a God that is like a Santa Claus in the sky, a God that is very different than the God of Scripture. In heaven they fall down. Mighty angels fall down in reverence and worship. Crying holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 24 hours a day. God will judge. And thank God for his mercy. He's very patient. He's very long-suffering. He was even long-suffering with his chosen people. But finally, they wouldn't listen, and he sent them in judgment, in chastisement. Seventy years. You say, well, God judged. God judged in a church service in the first century and killed two people by the name of Ananias and Sapphira because of their hypocrisy. In the Corinthian church, there were people that were sinning against God and rebelling against God and living selfishly and participating in the Lord's Supper. And God was upset about it. And some of them had been judged by death and others were weak and sick because of God's judgment. And then that passage said, if we will judge ourselves, we would not have to be judged by God. That's all New Testament, folks. God is a holy God. Now, here's, here's the message. And I... I, I, I really want to go on, but I, I, I yeah. Go on, go on. Amen. Amen. Here's, what the, here's what the flying scroll means. God is going to judge lawlessness in the world. But God's going to start with the church. I quoted the verse, I'll read it. For the time for it is time for it is time for judgment to begin with God's with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will what will the outcome be of those who do not obey the gospel of God? We need to win souls like never before. I want to become a better witness. I'll say this in the presence of the Lord. I want to become a better witness. I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of him, but I'm not a good witness. I, don't know, I have a tough time getting the conversation going sometime. I'm just like you. Sometimes you talk to somebody about the Lord, and, and there is a little bit of fear there. But I am not ashamed of Jesus, but I want to get trained better and better to be his witness. And I'm going to get me a packet of tracks. That's how I want to start. Because even, even if I don't know how to get the conversation going, I can hand them a track and say, I have a gift for you. And the reason is, I can't imagine someone who goes out into eternity without Jesus. The horror, the horror of that moment to know that you have rejected God and your days of grace have run out and the sadness that you could have been saved. Jesus loved you. He died for you. And it says here, if judgment begins with God's family, if God deals with his people and chastises him, what's going to happen to the world's? 
We need to reach them. We need to proclaim the gospel. Now, I'm not going to come back to this, so I am going to finish. Just give me a moment longer. Read verse 6 with me, Zechariah 5, 6. And I asked, what is this? He replied, he said, a measuring basket. And he said, this is the iniquity of the people throughout the land. What it represented. The cover, then the cover of lead was raised, the, the top of it, the lead cover. And there, there sat a woman in a, uh, the basket. There was a woman in there. Can you imagine the shock? This, this basket, this ephah in the Hebrew there's a woman in there. Now, now ladies, the Lord said this. I didn't. (laughs) He said, this is wickedness. (laughs) (laughs) And then he pushed her back into the basket and he pushed the lead cover over its mouth. Then I looked up and there before me were two women with the wind in their wings They had wings like those of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between the heaven and earth. Where uh, where are they taking the basket, I asked the angel who who was speaking to me. He replied, to the country of Babylonia, to Shinar, to build a house for it. When it is ready, the basket will be set in its place. Now, I'm going to be quick on this point. Not only will the Lord... Cleanse the land, but he's going to cleanse all the wickedness out of the land. Here's here's what this means. In this vision, wickedness is personified by this woman. Sometimes in scripture, wickedness is personified or or sin by a a seductive woman that seduces someone. Now listen to this. The basket, which in the Hebrew is ephah, was, was something to measure grain with. It was a, it's, a, it's a weight, it's a, it's, a, it's a measurement. But this was a different kind of ephah. This was a different kind of basket. Because a whole woman was in there. So just like the scroll was blown up, this ephah, this basket was blown up in this vision. And the, the lead top, was, it was a talent, a talent weighed about 75 to 100 pounds. And then he sees these two women with wings like a stork. And they, 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 they have to push the woman back in the basket because sin always is trying to permeate. It's like leaven. It's just, so God is restraining this. How many of you grateful that there's things God restrains? If God allowed sin just to run rampant, this world would not be fit to live in. But you are the salt of the earth. The Holy Spirit is a restrainer. The church is a restrainer. But one day those restraints will be. But here, God's restraining. He's pushing this woman back in the basket. They lift it up. Where's it? Where are they? Angel, where are they taking this basket? Babylon. Now, as I wrap this up, it says we're going to make a special house for this basket. So the question is, what is this basket? What does it mean? What does it represent? And the question is this. What did the children of Israel bring back from Babylon? After the 70 years of captivity, what do they bring back? And you may say, idolatry. And I say, no. No, no, no. God had broke that. God broke that from them. But you you know what they brought back? A spirit of commercialism. Thou shalt not steal. Now notice. 
Before they left, they were people of the land. Now they're merchants. Nothing wrong with being a merchant, if you're honest. But that's not what's happening here. And isn't it interesting that it mentions Babylon? That's where Nimrod. Nimrod was a despot. He was a God-hater. They built a tower. They, they wanted to build a tower without God. They wanted a world without gods. And by taking this basket and making a place for it, it tells us that in Babylon, that's what they worship. They worship money. They worship material things. And I think if we're honest with one another, it's one of the great gods of America. Materialism. We worship it. We trust it. We think it's going to make us happy. We think it's going to make us fulfill our dreams. But I want you to know it's an idol that God's pushing down. And God said, I'm going to remove it from my land. And God wants to remove it from his people. The antidote to this basket is this verse. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And then all of these things will be added unto you. You know what the last of the Ten Commandments is? And I close. Thou shalt not covet. Do you realize that when a person has covetousness, he breaks all the other commandments? It's a sin that spurs us to break all the other commandments. You say, why do you say that? Timothy said it this way in in Timothy. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Its tentacles go out. And people lie and they cheat and they hurt others. Why? The love of money. What it does. What it can get them in this life. What position it can get them. What power it can get them. The love, the covetousness of money. I want you to consider this as we pray. The Lord gave this vision to Zechariah, the flying scroll and the woman in the basket, to show how he would deal with sin among his remnant people. So here's my question to me and to you. Is there a sin in your life that you need to repent? Or will you hold on to that sin and allow it to bring a curse upon you, your family, and you read it in the scripture, it'll tear down your whole house. It'll tear down your relationships. Or will you run to Jesus today? That curse lighted on Jesus. He took our curse. He took our sins And he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He took the curse. And whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, he'll save us. He'll forgive us if we will turn from sin. If we will repent and turn to Jesus, he will cleanse us. And we can be a beautiful land again. We can be his beautiful holy people. We can let his light shine on this hill. God does deal with sin. I want you to bow your head.